With this sermon today, we conclude the series through Genesis chapters 1 through 3. We'll begin the reading this morning at chapter 3, verse 20, and read through the conclusion of chapter 3. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of His holy word that we might receive it rightly in faith and respond to the glory of His name. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for all of your goodness and mercy. We pray now the blessing of your Holy Spirit to come and open our minds and to open our hearts that we might receive your word for what it is, the word of the living God. Speak, O Lord, and grant us ears to hear, minds to understand spiritually, and hearts to respond in faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Word made flesh. Amen. Let us hear the holy Word of God. It is written. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins, To Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you be home for Christmas? Think about that question. Think about that question in the light of where we were two weeks ago in the book of Genesis. After Adam had sinned against God, he heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he hid himself among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? And we noted that that question was not about geographical location. It was about spiritual location, spiritual condition. So in that light, think about this question again. Will you be home for Christmas? That question is not about physical location. It's about spiritual location, spiritual condition. 
It points to the fact that we all share in the experience of Adam and Eve. We have inherited their guilt and their sin, and we have committed, out of our own sinful nature, we have committed our own actual sins. And therefore, in and of ourselves, as the sin-corrupted fallen children of Adam and Eve, we too share in, as does all humanity, shares in their experience of living in exile from paradise. We all share, all humanity shares in this kind of collective memory, if you will, and, and longing for a world, a beautiful world, a beautiful life that has been lost, paradise lost. All humanity is born with homesickness. It's embedded into our consciousness as fallen human beings in exile from paradise. And that's the reason, for example, that is the reason that the song, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams still somehow strikes us all with melancholy poignancy in our own hearts, even if we know we're going to be home for Christmas in terms of our location. There's something inside us that tells us we're not all the way home. Will you be home for Christmas? As soon as Adam took the fruit from his wife and ate, death fell upon them. Not in the ultimate and final sense, no. But from that moment on, they were dying creatures. They had fallen into spiritual death. They had lost communion with God. They had lost the unbroken, transparent intimacy which they had with one another. But remember that even in this new context of sin and death, remember that when God pronounced His judgment, He also proclaimed the gospel there in the Garden of Eden. The Lord God said to the serpent, the embodiment of Satan, Cursed are you. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, literally her seed, singular. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. The judgment upon the serpent, Satan, was that because he had deceived the woman, the woman herself would be the means by which Satan would suffer his ultimate demise, defeat, and death. And by the way, it's very interesting that when the Lord God pronounces that curse upon the serpent, that his defeat would come by means of the woman, there's no mention of the man. That's interesting. She would bear offspring. 
but without any assistance from the man. That ring a bell? There would be struggle and conflict. The serpent would wound the heel of the promised Savior, but in suffering that wound, the Savior born of woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Genesis chapter 3. And then when the Lord God pronounced judgment upon Adam, he said, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But Adam's physical death did not occur immediately, and therefore there was life. And there was even the promise of redemption despite the curse of death. And as a sign of this promised redemption, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And Pastor Jonathan touched on this uh, last Sunday. But listen again. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Garments of skins, not cotton, not wool. Garments of skins. This, this clothing required the shedding of blood. This, this clothing required death. So there it is. The wages of sin is death. And in this case, it was the death of a substitute. This clothing came about as the result of a substitutionary sacrifice. Don't miss this. This is the first instance of death, the first instance of bloodshed recorded in the Bible. It is due to and in response to Adam's sin. It is for the purpose of clothing Adam and Eve's nakedness, that is their guilt and their shame. This has not so much to do with covering their bodies as it does covering their souls. They had lost their original righteousness before God and now naked and exposed before His eyes, they had to be covered with a righteousness of another, a righteousness not their own, a gift of righteousness, a righteousness provided by God Himself out of His free grace and mercy. And so it was the Lord God Himself who offered up this sacrifice, this substitutionary sacrifice sacrifice to clothe these sinners. That's the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ right here in Genesis 3. Do you see it? Do you see Him? Here is Jesus in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden, slain for Adam and Eve that they might be clothed with His righteousness. In the midst of God's judgment, which is real, under the curse of death and hell, which is real, there is a way. There is a way. A way provided by God Himself, a way of salvation. And it has been the only way of salvation ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Salvation. By the blood of the Lamb, slain for sinners, the clothing of His righteousness. Will you be home for Christmas? 
So Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, but not naked and not without hope. They had lost their intimate, personal communion with the Lord God. They had lost their paradisal home. They had lost their most blessed life. But they were not utterly forsaken by God. In fact, God's disciplinary judgment upon them, driving them out of the garden, as we shall see, was in itself an act of mercy. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, The man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, we've got to get this. The Lord God was not expressing surprise at this new situation. The Lord God was not expressing his concern over a problem that he could not control. God was not saying, oh my goodness, I didn't plan on this. Now what are we going to do? That's not it. That is not it. When the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil, he was speaking ironically with a bite of sarcasm. It's more like this. Well now, just look at the man and the woman whom we created in our own image and likeness to radiate our glory upon the earth and to represent us, to be the visible representatives of the invisible God. Now, just look at them and see what they have become. Oh yeah, they've become like us, presuming the right and the authority to know good and evil. That is, to decide good and evil for themselves and no longer to trust and to obey our word. Look at these pitiful creatures. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever... The sentence is incomplete. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so Adam and Eve were driven out, exiled from the garden, cast out from the earthly sanctuary of the Lord, To think about it in those terms, they were cast out from the earthly sanctuary of the Lord. They were excommunicated from eating the fruit of the tree of life. And the angelic cherubim with the flaming sword turning every direction guarded the way to the tree of life. There was no way back into the garden. There was no way back to the tree of life. There was no way back to their home in paradise. This was indeed the tragedy of paradise lost. But it wasn't simply the loss of a beautiful and peaceful and pleasurable home, though indeed it was. It wasn't simply the loss of a pain-free life. It was the loss of communion with God. It was the loss of heavenly life on earth. It was the loss of righteousness and holiness in which they stood before God. It was the loss of the true life which God had given to them. Now they were exiled 
into the land of the walking dead. Life in this fallen world under the curse of sin and death, and that is the condition now into which every human being is born. Dead in trespasses and sins, in exile, far, far from home. But watch this. The light shines in the darkness. Even as God meted out this judgment, this disciplinary exile, this disciplinary excommunication, He did so for the sake of His mercy. His discipline fell upon Adam and Eve as an expression of His mercy. Now lest He reach out His hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent Him out from the Garden of Eden. We need to remember that the Lord God had already pronounced the curse of death upon Adam and Eve and all their posterity. To dust you shall return. And that, of course, is a word of judgment from which there would be no escape. And the Lord God confirmed and executed this judgment unto death by driving Adam and Eve out of the garden, excommunicating them from the fruit of the tree of life. Why? Why? So that they would not live forever. That is, so that they would not live forever dead in their sins in their corrupt state. If Adam had been allowed to remain in the garden and continue to eat of the fruit of the tree of life as though he were not under God's judgment, as though nothing had changed, as though everything were just fine, without any disciplinary consequences for his sin, Adam would have then been perpetually confirmed in his sin, perpetually confirmed in his condemnation. And therefore, Adam would have lived forever corrupted by sin as a spiritual zombie. The tree of life would have become a curse to him, preserving him in his fallen state forever under the curse of sin and death and condemnation and actually bringing more condemnation upon him because since he had lost the right to the tree of life by his sin, then to continue to eat of its fruit would have added sin to sin to sin forever and ever with no possibility of redemption. And rather than living forever, Adam and Eve would have been literally dying forever. And so in His mercy, God drove them out from their home, which was His home, God's home, on earth. They still had a place to live, though now in a fallen world with pain and frustration and death. Adam still worked the ground with thorns and thistles. Eve would bear children in pain, but they were far, far away from home in exile east of Eden. We see this theme developed and and recurring throughout the Scripture. So just take a little quick walk with me. A little quick walk. For example, the Lord God called Abram to leave his home in Ur of the Chaldees and go to the land that he would show him. But Abraham never really became firmly established in that land. And then there was Esau and Jacob and the sons of Jacob. And then the Israelites end up 
in slavery in Egypt. Far, far from home. After the Exodus, they return to the homeland and for a few centuries enjoy some level of stability, but due to their sin, the people of Israel and Judah were driven out of the land, carried away into exile in Babylon. Then after their return, from, their return home from Babylon, they never really were truly home, safe, and secure. It wasn't long before Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire conquered Palestine. And then after the Greeks, it was the Roman Empire in Jesus' day. So that in the days of Jesus, the Jewish people, even in their own homeland, still considered themselves to be in exile, spiritually speaking, because their homeland was contaminated by pagan occupation. They weren't enjoying being at home because they weren't really there spiritually. So then think about the ministry of Jesus, the parable of the shepherd leaving the 99 to go in search of the one to bring it home. The parable of the lost boy, the prodigal son, it's all about coming to the Father. Never forget that when Jesus bore our sins in His body on the tree, He did so, get this, He did so in exile outside the city gates. He was cast out from Jerusalem where you remember at that time the temple stood, the Holy of Holies where God would come and dwell with His people. Oh no, Jesus was cast out into exile. Jesus bore our sins as one who had been cast out, and on the cross He cried out as an exile in hell, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sacrifice which clothed Adam and Eve's nakedness in the garden was that man upon the tree who himself was cast out from the presence of his father as our substitutionary sin-bearing sacrifice in order to bring us home forever to our eternal home. Will you be home for Christmas? What is the way home? Jesus Christ is the way home. He is the way home. Humbling yourself before Him. Confessing your need of Him. Entrusting yourself to Him. Submitting your life in obedience to His Word. Forsaking your sins for Him and casting your eternal, undying soul upon His mercy. Earlier I said that when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, there was no way back to the garden, no way back to the tree of life. We, we can't retrace our step. We know what that feels like. Well, I do. I do. And I know that I can't retrace my steps 
I can't turn back the hands of time. I cannot undo what I have done. I can't make it all right again by some kind of new try harder. There is nothing we can do to establish ourselves in a righteousness of our own or to gain access again to the tree of life. But we are not without hope. Although there's no way back to the tree of life, there is a way forward to the tree of life. And what I mean is, The tree of life now stands not behind us in history. Not behind us in ancient history. The tree of life now stands in heaven and will stand forever in heaven. And in the new creation, heaven on earth, which is coming when Christ comes again. In the book of the Revelation, in St. John's vision of heaven, his vision of heaven and earth again united in the new creation, paradise regained. In the book of the Revelation, the tree of life occurs several times. In Revelation 2-7, Jesus says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Who is Jesus talking about? The one who conquers. He is referring to all those who conquer this world of sin and death through faith in Him. Remember? We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So it is through faith in Christ, in submission to His Lordship, that we have the promise that we, yes, will eat of the fruit of the tree of life in the everlasting paradise of God. What does that mean? It means that believers in Christ will be restored to that fellowship and communion with God which was present in the Garden of Eden. In fact, to a surpassing, unimaginable degree of infinite perfection beyond our imagination. We will dwell with God and He with us. It means that we will eternally be supplied with eternal life through the saving work of Jesus Christ and nothing will come in between us and Him and His gift of eternal life forever and ever and ever. The tree of life is a sacramental sign, a symbol of eternal life and a sign of the blessed assurance of eternal life and the sustenance of eternal life which comes only through Jesus Christ. Don't think of the tree of life in heaven as really being something other than Jesus Himself. The tree of life in heaven will convey to us the life and grace and power of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. And we have access to that tree of life right now by faith, coming to Christ, honoring Him, and giving ourselves unto Him because He's given Himself to us. 
Finally and forever, we will be brought home from our lonely exile here. And we have that promise because He's already shed His blood for us. In Revelation twenty-two fourteen, the very last book of the Bible and near the very end of the Bible, we are told that all those who, quote, wash their robes, that is, those who are clothed with robes, Washed by the blood of the Lamb, it's a figure of speech and image, which is to say those who by faith in Christ are clothed with the righteousness of Christ Himself in His bloodshed sacrifice for us. Those who wash their robes, quote, have the right to the tree of life. There again, dearly beloved, that means that we will have eternally have access to and communion with Him who is our life, who feeds us with Himself, and who is now available to all who will call upon Him in faith, and who will now grant the gift of eternal life to all who will humbly come, forsaking their sins, And casting themselves upon His mercy, bowing the knee, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. The way to the tree of life is by way of the tree of death. The way to the tree of life is by way of the tree of death. Jesus Christ, for our sake and our salvation, bearing our our sins in His own body on the tree, was cast out as an exile. He was cast into our exile. He was cast into our exile in order to bring us home and give us life eternal at home again with God. Will you be home for Christmas? Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, who for our sake and for our salvation came down from heaven and was made man in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, that He might live as one of us for us, die for us, rise for us, reign for us, and bring us into His everlasting new creation. Grant us grace to believe, and therefore grant us grace, O God, to live as those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, to the glory of your name forever and ever. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. The Nicene Creed is an ancient creed of the church, and it focuses on the divine nature of Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man. Christians, in whom do you believe? 
We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.